for cultivating progress across the South, for working to unconditionally improve the lives of all, and for the bold underwriting of every Gravy podcast, SFA thanks our visionary Louisville, Kentucky friends, Pam and Brooke Smith. Excited to lap up another episode of Gravy? Tell a friend. And pass the gravy boat. There's plenty to go around. Hey, y'all, I'm John T. Edge. And I'm Melissa Hall. We're your hosts for Gravy. 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 Welcome to Gravy, Kayla Stewart. Kayla, we're intrigued by the story you're telling today. It's a story that lives at the intersection of Houston and Indonesia. Would you please start by telling us what led you to this place, to this cuisine, too? I'll never forget having my first bite of Indonesian nasi goreng. It was in New York City, where I was living just a few months before I was scheduled to report to Semarang, Indonesia for a Fulbright grant. Though I'd immersed myself in Indonesian language, culture, and history, I hadn't fully experienced the food. In large part because even in a city like NYC, it could be really difficult to find. When I came back to my hometown of Houston, Texas a year later, I searched for the taste, smells, and textures I'd come to love in Semarang. When I came up almost empty-handed, I wanted to know why. Why wasn't Indonesian food just as represented as other Southeast Asian cuisines? And could that change? Then, four years later, I met a group of women who think that it can. Vietnamese and West African and Mexican and a plethora of other cuisines have all made their mark on Houston restaurants and Houston diners. And if this close-knit community has its way, Indonesian cuisine will be what's next. Houston, or Space City as many call it, is home to NASA Johnson Space Center, Beyonce, and other out-of-this-world cultural markers. But the immigrant communities that are now embedded in the city structure have come to be part of Houston's heart and soul. As the seventh most diverse city in the United States, the city boasts the largest immigrant population in Texas, and the food scene has become nationally recognized in large part because of the vast offerings of international cuisine. Strip malls are filled with locally owned pho shops. You can find Indian food within a five mile radius wherever you are, and West African jollof rice has become almost as common as its American Louisiana cousin, jambalaya. And yet, there's one immigrant group that's been underrepresented in Houston's dining community. So we are here to enjoy the Indonesian food, talk a little bit about Indonesian uh, heritage, uh, culinary, and then uh, the food that is relating to Indonesia. I met Indang Hariputro and her friends Kos Saparshia, Veronica Liu, and Zenia Tombokan last fall. I initially chatted with Indong and Kos, both prominent voices in Houston's Indonesian community, at Rice Bowl, one of two Indonesian restaurants in Houston. That's right, of Houston's 10,000 restaurants, just two, Rocky and chain restaurant Rice Bowl, currently serve Indonesian food. Not to mention, like many Indonesian restaurants in the U.S., they don't just serve Indonesian food. They also serve Chinese cuisine and other Asian cuisines, all in an effort to stay open. In spite of this, Endong, who moved to Texas permanently in 2013, loves the city. 
Houston is more like uh, Indonesia. There's a lot of Indonesian, the people very welcoming, very diverse city. So for adjusting in the uh, city like Houston, for me, is, is quite easy. A few years ago, a city study found that there were less than 700 Indonesian immigrants in Houston. But scholars at Pew Research Center think that number is now closer to 3,000. Houston has the fifth largest Indonesian population in the United States, and because they are one of the more populous cities in America, they've got a consulate. Endong and Coast are both deeply involved in the Houston Indonesian community. Endong volunteers for the Indonesian Chapter of Commerce and works helping to promote Indonesian business ownership. What we do basically, we have uh, three goals. The number one is we would like to uh, encourage more Indonesian diaspora to, um, to grow their business. But we also uh, sort of like a bridging between the uh, Indonesia and America business. And the other one, the Indonesian people that would like to do the business in, um, in the U.S. One of the businesses she's been promoting is We West Tempeh, an Indonesian-owned business that produces tempeh in the Houston area. One of the co-owners, Zinia Tombokan, and her friend and fellow tempeh supporter, Veronica Liu, have helped bring the glories of tempeh to the city of Houston, showing Houstonians how to incorporate tempeh into, well, just about everything. The fermented soybean product that's a staple in Indonesian diets becomes Cajun tempeh, tempeh burgers, and even tempeh spaghetti in Houston homes and restaurants. After getting COVID tested, Endong invited me to her home in central Houston to try the tempeh, among other foods. When I walked through the door, I was welcomed to the smells and taste of Indonesian staples that I enjoyed during my time in Indonesia. Nasi goreng, a steamy fried rice, soto madan, a chicken soup made with rich coconut milk, and jajan pasar, Javanese snack cakes and desserts that you can buy on the streets of Central Java. But I was also welcomed to tempeh in a way I'd never quite seen before. So today we are eating uh, one of our menu is a uh, rendang tempeh. Rendang is very um, popular dish in Indonesia. That's Veronica. She prepared a vegan version of rendang, a very rich, slow-cooked dish in Indonesia. In fact, it's one of the nation's five national dishes, and it's traditionally made with beef. It's very rich style of cooking that you take a lot of time. It's mainly is uh, coconut milk, regular like onions, garlic, and uh, roasted coconut, uh, and all kind of uh, fresh herb, and you cook it slowly, reduce until it's really, really turned dark. You know, the process that the cooking is not done by hour two is up to seven hours if you cook for the meat. But for rendang itself, for the tempeh, it took me two hours. So it's really uh, delicate to cook it, which is I enjoy to do it, uh, cook with love. Trying to capture American trends of plant-based diets and cutting meat, Veronica had figured out how to take one of Indonesia's most important exports, and add it to one of Indonesia's most beloved dishes. We're going to introduce rendang tempeh to whole Houston in the future. So people who have no idea what is tempeh, now they know. And they want to eat rendang, but it's not meat. Now we got a tempeh rendang for you. Vegans, vegetarians, meat eater, 
they all welcome. Not only is tempeh healthy, it's an essential part of Indonesian cuisine. Tempeh is sold fried as a snack, included as a side to meals, and eaten almost daily across the archipelago. And its origins likely date back to the 12th century. Today, Veronica sells it through WeWest Tempeh, supplying local grocery stores and restaurants with the product. Zenia helps her amplify the history and benefits of tempeh in the community. Uh, what uh, WeWest Tempeh uh, produce is has an original Indonesian taste, which you don't get easily here. I mean, other supermarkets already may have tempeh from other brands, but it just doesn't taste as original as back home. And so the combination of the original taste tempeh combined with the expert who is able to cook tempeh like Veronica, that creates an amazing dish. And that's what we are, we want to promote here, that uh, you, you can live healthy without sacrificing the taste. The WeWest Tempeh team builds on their memories of traditional Indonesian tempeh to create a product that's resonated with the Houston community. For them, not only is tempeh a connection to their home, it's also potentially quite lucrative. Tempeh is a moneymaker. It's estimated to be worth $258.7 million by 2025. In a pandemic that shut down thousands of restaurants across the country and forced the Friends to cancel their in-person demonstrations, WeWest Tempeh has held on as the center of Houston's Indonesian food community. But why do they have to carry that load? When we come back, we learn more about the history of Indonesian immigration to the United States. And how that history impacted the presence of Indonesian food in Houston. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Simmons Catfish is a family-owned business that calls the Mississippi Delta home. The company is committed to quality catfish and, most importantly, to its employees. My name is Maria Sparza, and I've been here 20 years at Simmons. I was born in Mexico, but I was raised in West Laco, Texas. When I was 19, they brought us over here to Simmons on a working contract, and I haven't went nowhere since then. Maria works as a strip table supervisor, cutting fish at the Simmons Processing Plant in Yazoo City, the same Delta town that gave us author Willie Morris. The Simmons Company recently honored her 20 years of service. Simmons marked her anniversary with a gift of a living room set, a dining room set, and more. She recalls the celebration fondly. Our people from the plant, they gave me some presents. I mean, it just felt good. They all got up, applause. It's just feeling good that you do for them and they do for you and they love you. I mean, like I said, this is family right here. Wouldn't go nowhere. You ain't gonna find another job like this. The next time you crave catfish, baked, fried, or in a stew, look for Simmons Farm-Raised Catfish, a driver of the Delta economy, an employer with integrity, the home of Willie Morris and Maria Esparza. 
A list of vendors is online at SimmonsCatfish.com. For their commitment to quality catfish, their belief in their employees, and their support of this podcast, we thank them. My kids were born here uh, in the United States, so I really want my kids to experience Indonesian food uh, because uh, I always miss Indonesian food, so I don't want them to miss how good Indonesian food is. To fully understand the vibrance of Indonesian food, you've got to go back a few years, a few hundred years. The archipelago, which consists of 17,000 islands, was the center of the international spice trade after the Dutch arrived in the late 16th century. Indonesia became a culinary and cultural crossroads as local indigenous communities mixed with immigrants, traders, and colonizers. This intermingling produced a cuisine that's clearly influenced by Indian, Arabic, Malay, Chinese, and Dutch traditions, as it is defined by the indigenous spices, preparations, and ingredients, like lemongrass, nutmeg, cardamom, tamarind, and ginger. When Indong and her husband came to the United States, they were in the midst of building their family. One of their children, Maya Lara Satyadiputro, was always aware of her Indonesian heritage, but wasn't totally sure how to merge it with her newfound American home. My experience was a, a very culturally confusing one. I was born in Jakarta and we moved to the States when I was about five. It was a confusing time at best because I did grow up in a predominantly white neighborhood. And so having to balance out or at least uh, fulfill my Indonesian heritage as well as kind of fitting in into the American culture where I was forced to, you know, speak English or just survive generally was really hard. And it's not something that I necessarily thought of or really reflected upon until much later in life when I was in college and I realized that it's totally okay for me to embrace my Indonesian heritage. Maya, who's a college student at the University of Houston, grew to become more outwardly proud of her heritage. She's been deeply involved in Houston's Indonesian community and has hope for tempeh serving as an entryway to the cuisine and for ensuring that Indonesian Americans actually profit from the food they've introduced to the United States. As she has embraced her culture, she's also become more aware of the challenges it faces in a city like Houston. In the middle of numerous cuisines, she's noticed how Asian food in particular has reshaped the dining layout of one of the nation's most populous cities. Asian food from all different types of countries is, I think, the biggest export that we have um, in the United States when you think of the, the mass impact that Thai and Chinese and, and all those different types of um, countries have had in their cuisine here in the United States. So Indonesian food really was the predominant way that I was able to connect with my culture growing up, and it's kind of a way that I've been able to connect with it more so now. However, Without Indonesian restaurants, that lifeline of cultural knowledge hangs in the balance. It, it literally breaks my heart to see the Indonesian restaurants in Houston, which, you know, have to serve some other cuisines to stay open. That's Stephen Cherry, a professor at the University of Houston, Clear Lake. His specialty is immigration, and for the last 20 years, he's worked at the Center for Healing Racism. He's one of a few scholars in the nation that could speak to immigration trends within the Indonesian community. Initially planning to study historical sociology and analysis, 
His career took an unexpected turn in graduate school. He decided to look at Asian American immigration trends and habits, specifically at under-research groups like Indonesian Americans. I kind of got pushed into doing contemporary immigration because I wasn't aware that people weren't really doing that research for such a large and important uh, population. You know, they still, you know, for the last several decades, have been in the top five largest immigrant populations in the country, and they're literally just nobody doing that work. So Stephen has spent years studying immigrant trends in the city of Houston, including trends in the city's restaurants and grocery stores. Indonesian restaurants have struggled in cities like Houston unable to solely focus on their own cuisines without having to merge with other communities. As a lover of my hometown's vibrant food scene and having fallen in love with Indonesian cuisine when I lived there, I wonder what gives? Why can't Houston sustain an Indonesian restaurant? Why don't people love this? Like if you love Indian food and you love Thai food, this is like, you know, the, the, the most wonderful marriage across the Spice Islands. Stephen's love for Indonesian food dates back to his grandfather. His grandfather worked in the oil business, which meant he had to travel around the world and brought Stephen's father with him. The family spent about 70 years in Indonesia and the experience and food stuck with Stephen's father. So much so that he would cook dishes from the cuisine in the home where Stephen grew up. And so when I was growing up, um, I, I was born and raised in New Orleans. There was no, there were no uh, Indonesian restaurants. So I grew up where my dad, who was the primary cook in our, uh, our family, did all the cooking, cooked a lot of Indian and Indonesian food and always thought that it was really important that not only that I learn about the food, eat it properly, but be able to pronounce, you know, the names of the food, know more about the culture, you know, and so I grew up with the love of uh, Indonesian food and Indonesian culture just because of my dad's an expat. Stephen found his way to learning more about Asian American communities, including Indonesians. His initial work showed that not only was research on Indonesian communities rare, there just wasn't a mass interest in doing it. Statistically, they're just such small populations in the United States. When you get a report on Asian Americans, it's largely looking at your, your you know, big central groups migrating. So Filipinos, Indians, Chinese, you know, Vietnamese, Korean, you know, in, in those areas. So it, it's very rare that you see somebody specializing into the, some of these smaller areas. And the only reason why you get a little bit more information here in Houston is because we have an Indonesian consulate. The consulate exists in large part because of Houston's oil community. Like many Indonesian immigrants in Houston, Indong's husband came to the city because of oil. You have to go back to um, 1898, the uh, Spanish-American War. After the treaty was negotiated in Paris and the United States started seizing colonial lands, right? So when we became an empire, even though people don't like to discuss it that way, we were, we had colonial territories. It's during that time that you have uh, Standard Oil, which later becomes Pegasus Oil, Standback, uh, starting to explore for mineral rights and negotiations in and around the region. So once the United States takes the Philippines after the Spanish-American War, Indonesia is just to the south of Mindanao, right, uh, just below the, the Straits of Malacca. So you have uh, the Rockefeller Foundation 
and other groups, you know, big oil looking for raw material resources all the way back in 1898 and then finding them in Indonesia and starting kind of a relationship. And then in 1968, the United States makes changes to its immigration policy, allowing immigrants from all backgrounds to enter the country at an unprecedented rate. The first time that we get a large migration of Indonesians, and I say large, keeping in mind that we're talking statistically relatively very small, is after 1968. It's because of that that time period since the Spanish-American War. Then in 1968, you have what emerges from Stanvac and Standard Oil, uh, Exxon Mobil, and these kinds of groups actually signing um, oil rights negotiations with uh, the fairly newly independent um, Indonesia. And so the relationship between the United States and Indonesia largely centers around the oil industry. And the reason why we have a sizable number of Indonesians in Houston is because of the oil industry. For the Indonesians who came to the United States, developing a culinary community here has often occurred through community potlucks and local celebrations. Endong and Coast recalled a number of Indonesian restaurants that opened and closed, unable to sustain the business needed to compete in Houston's overwhelming dining community. Even New York and Los Angeles, cities with some of the largest Indonesian populations, have just a handful of fully Indonesian restaurants. It, it puzzles us for a very long time, particularly those of us that love Indonesian food, because it's so hard to find. Without a population increase, Stephen is worried that Indonesian cooks and business owners won't be able to share their cuisine with Houstonians. I'm afraid that without a uh, without a critical mass and and more restaurants and restaurants that stay open, uh, that there isn't enough introduction to the palate. This, to Stephen, is a threat to the city's cultural integrity. I think it's so important that you know a healthy democracy uh, um, opens itself up to you know diverse expression. And you never want a circumstance in which the national culture, you know, pushes out, excludes, or diminishes the cultural expression of any community or any group. And when you lump people into categories, this is something just generally from a demographer perspective, you lose the unique things that they bring. Right. You you lose what is essential to their cultures. And from a larger national concern, looking at, you know, all of the issues that are going on in the country right now, you lose community concerns. But the future of Houston's Indonesian community is determined not to let that happen. Maya believes that Indonesian food, whether tempeh, beef rendang, nasi goreng or soto, composed of inspiration from nearby cuisines and full of the heart and soul of the Indonesian people, has a chance. There's something for everyone in it. Indonesian food is uh, not only, I think, going to uh, be a great addition to Houston food culture, but something that's new in a city that is always looking for, you know, the, the newest food things to try. Stephen thinks that engaging with food enthusiasts is exactly where to start sharing the story. Maybe educating foodies is something where we can start, you know. Maybe that's where the hope is, you know. 
Endong is determined to do as much as she can to amplify Indonesian cuisine in Houston. In my opinion, we should uh, promote more and more and more people would uh, understand and then falling in love with it. There's hope indeed. While the current struggles of keeping Indonesian restaurants open and spreading knowledge about the cuisine is sometimes daunting to Indonesian Americans, Indonesians know their value. They know that their spices, their culture, and their storied history speak for themselves and can influence even a massive city like Houston. Definitely uh, Houstonian will love with Indonesian food, but we just need to promote, to, to position ourselves, to market ourselves. But why? Because Indonesian food has so much flavor. Uh, you can have a spicy food, um, sweet, uh, fried, uh, some curries. So these are all different variety of Indonesian food that can be uh, molded into your taste buds. And yes, the youngest generation believes it too. I really do think historians would find something that they'd like and, and something to learn in um, the introduction of Indonesian food out here in uh, the city. Gravy was reported and produced by Kayla Stewart. Special thanks go to the Consulate General of Indonesia. We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music and Jazar for our donor music. Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milam. Mary Beth Lassiter serves as our publisher. Visit us at southernfoodways.org to watch films, read your way through our event bibliographies, or listen to this podcast. While you're there, become a member or make a donation. Your dollars fund our work and help us make more gravy. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. Thanks for letting us pour some gravy in your ear.